Jonathan Wakefield is a brewmaster and founder of Miami's renowned Jay Wakefield Brewing. Now he's opening up his internationally acclaimed tap room at Sirius XM Business Radio for an intimate look at the intersection of craft beer and popular culture. So pull up a chair, have a round on us, and join the conversation on the business of brewing. This is the Beer Hour with Jonathan Wakefield on Sirius XM Business Radio. Hi, I'm Jonathan Wakefield, and this is the Beer Hour on Sirius XM Business Radio 132. Each week, we introduce you to the movers and shakers of the craft beer business and other interesting fields of endeavor. I'm here in the taproom with my co-host, Maria Cabre. Hola, Maria. Hola, John. So we have a Charlotte theme going on tonight. Who's our first guest? Our first guest this week co-founded Salud Beer Shop with his wife, Daireling, in Charlotte, North Carolina's Noda neighborhood in 2013. The beer shop quickly became not only a neighborhood favorite, but a national favorite, winning USA Today's 10 best beer bars in the U.S. three years in a row from 2018 to 2020. They also own and operate Salud Cerveceria, an in-house microbrewery, as well as a coffee shop, making Salud a true community gathering place for local beer lovers and beer tourists alike. Welcome to the Bear Hour, Jason Glunt. Thank you very much for uh, joining us today, man, all the way from uh, North Carolina. Yeah, it's an honor. Thank you very much. So uh, how you guys been doing, man? Staying busy, trying to trying to maintain. As we all know, the last few years have been crazy, but it's been, you know, uh, trying to get through it and day yeah. to day, have a have a good day and uh, can't compl- no complaints over here. So let's kind of roll back the clock here. When did you first get into craft beer, and was there a specific beer that you fell in love with that kind of ignited that spark? Yeah, it goes all the way back to, I'd say, like 2009, 2010. Um, I was um, a couple years out of college. I was I was bartending at restaurants, kind of running their beverage programs. Um, of course, like Sierra Nevada was like you know, one of the first ones to bail, and then I mean, even back in the day when they were a lot smaller brewery, my grandpa always had like Sam Adams cherry wheat or something like that, you know, <laughs> um, that I kind of cut my teeth on. Right. Uh, I remember though, I think it was late 2010 when, when Dogfish came out with uh, Bitches Brew, the first iteration of Bitches oh, Brew. Oh yeah, hell yeah. And I was like, man, this is like, this is something else, you know, this is, because uh, at that time I was like really into cocktails and all that stuff. And I was like, man, this kind of blew my mind. It was just you know, and the artwork was incredible, and it was in this big 750 uh, bottle. Um, I was like, man, this looks like a crazy, you know, wine bottle, and the flavors at that time were just, I can't even describe it. And I'm right from then on, I was just hooked, and it's been uh, nonstop ever since. Been uh, been all uphill, downhill from there. <laughs> yeah, 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 for sure, for sure. So h- how did your, you and your wife, Dyraline, meet? Yeah. That was good. You did good. Yeah. Good. <laughs> <laughs> you live in Miami, man. You got I know. It. I know. Hey, I know. Listen, he's married to a Spanish woman and yeah. his uh-huh. manager, who is yeah. me, yeah. I, I yell at him <laughs> often in Spanish. Yeah. So if yeah. he doesn't pick up something, there's a problem. Yeah. I probably can't say the names. I get called a lot from my wife. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, this is way back in 2012. So, um, and we were, we live in, we were living in Noda, which is kind of the art district here in town. Um, there was this empty space. Uh, it was like a thousand square feet and it was just, uh, kind of sitting there and I was staring at it and staring at it and staring at it. Um, and I was bartending at the time. She was, she was bartending as well. Then she got a job at the bank. Um, I thought that's what I wanted to do. I was a business major. Um, I got a job at a, a finance firm. Uh, I was probably 29, 30 at this point. Um, Took the Series 7, did all that stuff. Uh, I think I studied a month in the Series 7, passed it, did the job for two weeks, and I was like, get me out of here. This is not for me. I'm not an office guy <laughs> in any way. I mean, if right. you meet me, if you ever see me, I, I, you know, I'm wearing Jordans all day and stuff. I, I can't do the office thing. Right. Sounds familiar. Um, yeah, yeah. And uh, kind of went back to Bartain to figure everything out and literally uh, opened the bottle shop in two, March 2012 on like a shoestring budget. Um, there's no way we could have done it today the way we did it back then. No. Um, yeah, we, I, I laugh thinking back at it, but we did it. We grew it uh, slowly and slowly and slowly. We eventually, the space next door became available. We kind of opened up the wall, added more space. Uh, we had a, another food, a food guy came in and we kind of subleased the, the food area to him. So, 
we could have some food for people. Um, he eventually left, and then we took just took over the kitchen ourselves. I found this is easier to control, you know, the food would match it with the beer and the experience. Uh, we started doing wood fire pizza. The upstairs became available probably like five, six years ago. And then I was like, well, we gotta be, we gotta become a brewery in a way because with the bottle shop, you gotta be ahead. You gotta see how the trends were changing. And if you didn't have food, if you don't have beer, you got all my brewery friends were opening breweries around us. Right. So I figured it's better just to join in. Um, and then also offer a bottle shop downstairs where you can try Bales' beer along with ours. Right. Um, right. Okay. But otherwise, you kind of get – if you're just a bottle shop and you allow these breweries open next to you, you're going to kind of eventually kind of go away. No, I agree with know? that. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, so from there, it's been kind of crazy. We've – we've uh, the food program is, is, is blown up. Um, it's, it's almost – our kitchen's tiny, so it's been really hard to keep up with. Um, we added a coffee program. Uh, in the mornings, we do breakfast. Um, so upstairs is open 8 a.m. every day till you know 10 p.m. midnight on the weekend. So it's kind of an all-day thing. Nice. Um, how, how did you guys go about financing the very start of everything? The start of everything was I think I opened the whole place for twenty-five thousand, fourteen thousand was beer. Wow. <laughs> I mean, we got lucky because it was a in in you know every city's different, but it was technically not a change of use. So there was kind of like a convenience store there before. Right. So with the change of use, it didn't really kick in anything. I mean, dude, we put in like just a random sink. Like we didn't even pull permits. I mean, I probably should be saying this. Hopefully the time. Well, I mean, I mean, you're you're talking years later, you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, but we we also didn't really do anything. We had like a sink and uh, I had like one of those little, we had four taps and it was like, you rolled it in, you know, like the little, the ones on casters and you put the kegs in. Um, I mean, I didn't have a, I didn't think I had a walk-in. Um, we had a couple of racks of beer, some couches, and put some TVs in. And I mean, it was trying. In 2012, I was literally trying to explain to people what a bottle shop was. Right. Well, that was you know. that would be like my other question. Like, you know, I know like opening a brewery and stuff like that, and like kind of what we yeah. needed. And I had worked at Cigar City and, and been around to a few other breweries mm-hmm. and done some time. How like, how do you open a bottle shop, dude? Like, how do you curate, uh, like the beer list? Like, how do you go about doing that? Like, uh, yeah. I, like I'm kind of lost on that one. I mean, it's it's it's. So, I know it's a big process. Yeah, it's it's a huge process, and that's that's part of the reason why I'm still kind of running around crazy all day trying to, you know, maintain my time because to this day, my favorite part of the job is still curating the shop. I still do it. I'm still the beer buyer. You know, ten years later. I have managers for coffee. Obviously, I have a brewer. You know, we got kitchen managers, you know, front of house managers, but I still do the beer buying. Um, it was just figuring out. It's constant change. I mean, it's still 10 years later, monthly. Oh, well, Hazy IPAs are, are obviously still king, but then they're slowing down a little bit, you know, and then the fruited sours are slowing down a little bit. And then, oh, so, oh, actually, people want lagers now. So you constantly, constantly got to keep up. My philosophy at first was, what does a grocery store have? I don't want to have. Right. Right. Um, and I was constantly just thinking of new things. What's new? What's new? Reading on, I constantly read up what's going on in New York, what's going on in Miami, even what's going on in Chicago, LA. Right. Um, Charlotte's growing like crazy, but it's obviously a lot smaller in town than those. You know, we have a lot of transplants. So a lot of people move from New York. What makes them feel familiar here? Um, we're in a really unique space. We're in the art district. We're in a really old building which is super, super rare for Charlotte. We tear everything down. Um, so it has like a unique kind of vibe to it. So we wanted to have the product that kind of correlated with that. Um, you know, back in 2012, that was introducing people to sours. I mean, Jolly Pumpkin, you know, oh, what's oh, this? Yes, is this pumpkin beer? No, no, this is band beer. This is incredible, you know. Um, <laughs> I remember people coming in and, oh, I just, I want, you know, KBS and Wake and Bake and I just want these big stouts. And then two months later, they're asking me what new Italian sours we got in from like, Everything with hazelnuts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was like, man, this is incredible. And that was the, it was the, give me the greatest joy. Just that I love getting people to try new things. That's awesome. Um, That's awesome. And the other part of it is selling what I, what I like. Right. You know, um, you know, I'm really picky when it comes to local beer, we don't sell every local brewery. Um, we try to support as best we can, but every bar in town 
has those beers right, on tap. Right. Um, we carry some package. We have like a rack of Charlotte beer. You know, people, I love their beer. People I'm friends with, people I want to support. But we, on tap, we don't put Charlotte beer on tap unless right. it's uh, unless it's a collab. Well, yeah, I, we mean, I mean, because you can go right down the street and get it. Exactly. We have to be different. We have to be niche. And what I've noticed over the years, the grocery store selection has is greatly improved. Right. And they have a really good selection now. So you take like the bigger breweries, say like a Stoner Bells, where before, you know, we could sell two hearted all day. If I put a six pack of two hearted on the shelf, it will sit there forever. If I get a 12 pack of two hearted cans and it sells a 12 pack, it flies. Wow. So it's just, it's weird. It's, at least at our shop, it's just right. a weird phenomenon that. So it's just finally figuring out what to put where. Space is super, super limited. Um, and then. I'd say four years ago, we added a huge natural wine program because um, oh. I got really into wine. Right. It, it literally, selling pet nat and like really dry wines, it literally mimicked the sour beer. Really? In that, 2012. Like, That's try crazy. This, try this. That's crazy. Oh, I love Saison's. You love Saison's? You'll love, I guarantee you'll love pet nat. Wow. And it was just that um, process. I mean, right now I'm looking at, we still have a big rack of, a shelf of uh, lambics and okay sours, you know, which yeah. we'll always sell, we'll always push. Yep. Um, but you know, in 2012, 13, man, that was, we were pushing them, man. They were, they were moving. We did a, we used to do a sour fest and then we have a theater next to us. And I think it was 2013 was the first one. It was the first sour fest in North Carolina. I think we'd be wicked weed by like eight months or something <laughs> like that. And, uh, Cause they did, they did a big one in Asheville way back in the day. And I remember, yep. uh, you know, and it was a small fest. It was like 400, 500 people. But man, it was this incredible time of like, you know, people were still get was still getting excited about Rodenbach and even Duchess. And we would have some Cantillon bottles. Right, the old school yeah. beers. The old school beers, which yeah. are still great beers, honestly. Amazing beers. You know, I miss yeah. like being able to it, you know, we still sell them, but I miss that people aren't constantly asking for like Brett, you know, Brett beers and Brett Saison. Right. Uh, you know, Lauren Salazar came out for the second one in New Belgium, helped Ooh, us host it. And okay. those are like great, great memories of like a moment in time. Yep. Um, but then you got to figure out, Hey, what, what's moving? What's, you know, then it's, it's the Berliners then it's, well, shit, we got to get an extra cooler because you got to keep them cold. Oh yeah. You know, or, and you got to figure out all this stuff. Um, and now it's loggers, which makes me feel, I love it. Cause I'm right. I'm constantly just, I, I just turned 40, man. So I gotta, you'd be careful what I drink. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, no. I'm, uh, I'm drinking a lot of lager and a lot of wine. Yep. So even with the brewery, the loggers thing is, has been great for us. We, we probably got four on tap right now. Nice. So, you guys, you guys have a great name and a logo. Why was it so important to like lean into your wife's Dominican heritage when you were branding the beer shop and brewery? Um, because it's, I wanted it to be a reflection of us together. Um, if you if you ever come to Salude downstairs, you'll see we got all the old school like Hornet stuff, a lot of sports stuff uh, down here. Um, it's almost like this is me. You go upstairs. It's a little fancier, it's nice, there's beautiful plants everywhere. It's more reflection of my wife, which we <laughs> right. wanted to do. When we opened upstairs, we wanted to create a whole different vibe. So we didn't want just another bottle shop upstairs. So the first time people come, I love that they, they come downstairs. We do have a street entrance for upstairs, but there's also like a back entrance. So you can go upstairs. We have art everywhere. Oh, nice. And when they open, when they open that door, they don't expect what they're going to see. Right, they and expect something else. Whole, yeah, yeah. It gives them a whole new experience. and. Um, that's what we wanted to do. And to be honest, it's, it's true to who we are. This is who we are, man. I don't, um, you know, I'm, I don't listen to banjo music, man. I, I just don't, <laughs> nothing wrong with it. You know, especially being in North Carolina, man, it's not my right. thing, you know? Right. I'm like, a I, I got a weird musical sense of like, I mean, we name songs after gang star songs. We name songs after bad bunny songs. Right. Because you, that's, you got to float the whole spectrum there. That's who you yeah, guys are as, got, a, as a whole unit. Yeah. And that's me. Like I love, you know, the Latin music too. And I can, despite how I look, I can dance to it and all that, and, <laughs> you know, and I, I DJ a lot of the parties and the family parties. I, I play the mixes. So, Hey man, yeah. Never judge a book by its cover. Right. So, you know what I mean? That, that, that's, that's yeah. truth. John, so. John's got some salsa moves in him somewhere. I, I mean, you oh, li- hey, listen, you, hey, you, li- you know, you live in Miami long enough. You better know how to salsa. Listen. So yeah, that's all yeah, I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Um, or if not, some other Latin guy is going to come out and take your girl to dance. <laughs> if you don't. So you, you, you kind of hit on earlier about the food aspect of it. It's pretty funny, though, because I've actually seen, you know, you on diners, drive-ins, and oh, dives. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. But I think that was, like, the early rendition, you know, when Guy Fieri came through 
and yes. that was probably a massive highlight for you guys. How how have you guys changed the food component from what it was it, then, like that chicken and waffle sandwich or the yeah. s'mores that he did, to what is it now? So, yeah, we can, it's completely changed. So when Guy, Guy Fieri came, it was uh, Food is Salute, which was when I, we subleased the food to, to uh, somebody I knew I used to work right. with back in the industry. Right. So that was his food in our space. Um, he eventually moved on to kind of do get his own brick and mortar, and we uh, just changed it completely. So it's, it's completely different now. We do wood-fired pizza, uh, wings, sandwiches, salads. We make everything by hand. I mean, we make our ranch by hand. We make oh, our, wow. our dough, our sauce, everything. We get blocks of cheese in. You know, we slice it on site. We don't cut any corners. Nice. Um, and the food has become a massive, massive part of our business, um, especially with the brewery. You get people that don't even know what beer is. But they're going to come eat pizza. Oh, absolutely. You know, they'll, drink, you know, they'll get some pizza to go. So it, it broadens our our customer base for sure. So you guys had jumped in, obviously, with the bottle shop and the food. That that kind of like last component of actually brewing your own beer. What kind of mm-hmm. pushed you to that? And what kind of led to that, like, that moment where you're like, dude, we need to brew our own beer? Yeah, so we started, um, it was kind of funny, you know, just seeing the way the industry was going, um, people want to go to less than the, just a bottle shop, they want to go to the tap rooms, you know? Right, yeah. Um, and we have, now on our street, we have seven breweries. Jeez. And I, think back, and I think back then, we had like three or four, which I think is great because, you know, if somebody opens a bottle shop next door, like a wine shop, that that's not really that good because we got to offer pretty much the same products. Right. But with breweries, you're offering a different product, you know, right. and if you're all once together, you get people that take their little tours and, yep. and go through the whole neighborhood. So I was kind of seeing that happening. I was hearing about, you know, across the country, classic beer bars that were kind of losing business to breweries that were opening next door. So instead of like, you know, fighting that, I was one, I kind of wanted to join in to the industry and I always wanted to have our own beer. I wanted to you know, kind of show what, not just selling other people's beer, but showing what we can do and the flavors that we want to put out there. Um, especially with my wife being a huge part of the brewery. Um, we do a lot of beers like Chinola, like, you know, passion fruit and, and guava and, and a lot of stuff. We want to share things that we like to drink, things that we like to eat um, that might not be reflected as much here. And we just wanted to push that. And it's another way to express ourselves. Um, the space became open upstairs. So, we don't brew up there, but that's where we sell our beer. And I was like, nice. we can't do another bottle shop. We can't just have a <laughs> no. space to sit. We got to right. bring something to the table. So it just kind of was a natural thing, and we went from there. Nice. You're listening to the Beer Hour, and we are speaking to Jason Glunt of Salud Cerveceria. Wow, I can't, yeah. I can't even <laughs> you, say it. You missed this one. Salud Cerveceria, because <laughs> yeah. I'm like, wow, am I going to come off so Latin? <laughs> so, so, like, where do you guys actually brew the beer at? So we actually, uh, so we actually have two fifteen barrel fooders downstairs in the front part of our kitchen. Okay, that's like the tightest space ever. Um, so we'll talk, we're, but down the street, Heist Brewery is like uh, about a block away from us. Right. So we we rent. They have a big production brewery. They open the uh, about five minutes away. So they have the original seven barrel kind of German brew house that we use. We rent. Oh, nice. Okay. We have, we have our own we have our own brewer and everything, but we we had some tanks in there and all that. And we. So we brew in a seven-barrel German system. We got about 50 barrels of brew space in there. We sell like 90. I say we sell 98% of our beer in our tap room. Well, that, that's we a great a thing. Up. <laughs> that's yeah, a great yeah. Thing. So, like, we don't want to, you know, we're looking, obviously, we eventually got to get our own our own warehouse. But we just want to do seven barrels and kind of keep it like that because, you know, that's the other part of opening a bottle shop and seeing the retail side and seeing the amount of beer coming into the state and the amount of beers right. available. It's like, right. if you want to get massive, massive, you had to do it three years ago. Right, right. You know, I would, I would totally agree with you. I think the days of building a big ass brewery are gone. Yeah, they're gone. Yeah, I think now is more of a smaller micro system that you try to sell all of your product out your front door or at your exactly. tap room. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, it's a yeah, it's niche, very niche. You know, it's almost like brewing's becoming like wrestling in a way, where everybody has their own little niche and their yes. own characters. And yeah, it's a cool thing. I would so. Amongst all that, I mean, the Salute Beer Shop was voted Best Beer Bar in the U.S. in the USA Today's 10 Best Reader's Choice Awards for three mm-hmm. consecutive years from 2018 to 2020. 
Can you describe the feeling when you won that first one and how it just kept rolling for the next two years? Like, how did how did you feel about that, dude? It was incredible because the other places on the list I've been to and I love those places, you know, and just even being nominated. We were actually nominated by, I believe, uh, Ale Sharpton is a beer writer, uh, Dennis out of uh, Atlanta. He's a really good guy. But to have somebody from Atlanta who's like three and a half hours away, even think of our little tiny shop to nominate us. Right. You know, then to have, and it's voted on. So, you know, we had, we had a lot of regulars who really pushed and stuff. <laughs> right. So it is what you know. But there were some great plays on that list. And when we won it, it was, it was incredible, man, because we were, you know, we're, we're tiny. Our, our bottle shop is a thousand square feet, you know. Right. Yep. Um, and there's places that have been open for, you know, 10, 20 years that we looked up to before we opened um, and got inspiration from. So that's awesome. We were, it was super humbling. It was, it was incredible. Um, you know, and it's, it's more to my staff and everybody that's here because I'm not behind the bar anymore, really. I'm kind of retired, man. I'm turning into the office nine to five doing paperwork all day guy, which I was trying like, to avoid. But. You sound like me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. But uh, it was great. And then to do it three years in a row was incredible. Um, it was it's hard to describe, you know, it's, it was great. And the people come in, they are, this is, I said, yeah, man, this is, uh, this is it. This is all there is, but this is it, you know? So, so what year are you guys going on now? What year will this be? Uh, the bottle shop will be, so going back to this being kind of crazy with COVID and forgetting the year and the time, March of this year was 10 years for the bottle shop. Holy crap. Okay. And I literally, I was crazy. I was like talking to my wife and I was like, I was like, Oh, our anniversary is in two weeks. And I literally completely forgot and have nothing planned. <laughs> so we kind of just let it happen. And we'll do like a big party next year. Right. I don't want to like, you know, try to put something together last minute. I can't throw, if I throw a party, man, it's gotta be, we part, you know, like we have, you gotta put some bad party, party on. man. We're constantly, yeah. My wife's got family. <laughs> we, we, me and my wife's family, we come to our house, we party, man. We play music and we, you know, we cook on the grill. We we do nice. it right, and I can't. Nice. I can't like do nothing. You can't do it. Full, you you can't point. do something half ass. So no, 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 no yeah. not at all, not at all. <laughs> uh, the brewery is about five years old though. So the brewery is, uh, yeah, the brewery is. It's been a, it's been a minute too, um, and that was a journey, man. It was a, uh, it was very stressful at first. Um, our first brewer just did not work out, man. It was really bad, and I mean, then he lasted like six months, which happens, you know, just yep. connect. And we got a new brewer, you know, Dustin's been here like four and a half years. He's great. Um, he's putting out really good beer. So I'm really proud of it. I'm, I'm super picky, but I'm proud of what we're putting out. And, um, yeah. And there was almost like a mini fire when we tried to open the upstairs, uh, <laughs> that was averted. So <laughs> it was a, it was a very stressful point to where we're at now. So I'm very thankful for everything that, you know, we, we have now and, and right. where we're going. Um, but what we do, we got a, um, our house loggers kind of blown up the patio and then we do like a regular version and we do a with, with lime. So we're trying to get that almost like contract brewed so we can put that out a little more. Right. Put it on the market. And then, yeah. Then, yeah. And then we'll have our other stuff that we'll just do in the, um, in the top room. We trickle out a little bit of beer, not a lot. You also have a coffee shop where you serve mm-hmm. Dominican hot chocolate, lavender oat yeah. latte, miel picante, yeah. uh, among other beverages. This, this gives you, like, multiple revenue streams. Also, you serve, like, that the non-beer drinking people and really become, like, a community hub. At what point did the coffee shop kind of come into the picture, like, that you wanted to do this down the line? Yeah, it kind of it kind of started like the food. There was a, a local person who wanted to kind of put their coffee shop and use the space in the morning, and we were all for it. Um, and it started that way, and then um, I think they just moved to – they have a spot in Nashville, and they just kept that spot. And then they were like, "Hey, do you want the do you want the machine?" And I was like, "Yeah, I mean, I gotta find people to make, you know, make <laughs> roast." Them. Yeah, but, absolutely. Um, but yeah, so we're like, "Yeah." Then we expanded to breakfast. Oh wow! Um, we, okay. Yeah, so we serve a little bit of breakfast. Uh, we make pastries all in house. Oh. So it's just turned into an all day thing. That's dope, man. That is really yeah. Dope. But um, but it's it's basically like creating. You're right, creating a community. You got this space up there. I mean, I I think it's a, it's a it does not look like a brewery at all. It's a unique space. I think it's a beautiful space. Yeah, but People I think, love to hang out there. But I think that's an important thing. Like, I mean, obviously, I think when you walk in here into this tap room, people aren't expecting it to look like, you know, some yeah. man, some man cave with comic books and Star Wars and yeah, everything yeah, else, yeah. dude. You know, like, they, this is not like a, a typical brewery. Like, and I think it's kind of cool to do more you than just try to fit mm-hmm. in, like, you know, that, you know, yeah. like a peg in a hole, you know what I mean? And be like everybody else. I think it's important to be different. Yes, and that's and that's again why we 
you know, we leaned heavily into, you know, Cerveza Ria and my wife's roots. And, um, you know, that's not the, in the beer industry, that's not the easy way. No, absolutely not. No, no. but that makes it more worth it. Yeah. Um, the one thing we're, cause you know, Charlotte's a very heavy Latino community too, but it's not Miami, you know, where it's ingrained, where you have generations, generations, right. You know, of Latino people. Like when I go to Miami, I don't go to Broward. I'm in Dade County. Who goes to Broward? No. Yeah, yeah. You know, I'm the, I'm the, when I'm there, like, I'm the minority. It's great. You know, it's right. like a different, but that's ingrained in the culture. You know, here we're getting there. And the thing I'm most proud of is every once a month we do a Noche Latina upstairs and we stay up until two. And oh, man, it man. gets packed, 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 like lines to the door. That's awesome. And the best part is, it's not like the stereotypical, like, oh, you got to have Corona. You got to have liquor. To have right. a lot. No, we just have our beer and wine. People love it. You know, it just, awesome. it's a demographic that's, that gets annoyed too often, I feel. Absolutely. Um, you know, these are people that love good beer. And they're different, you know. Yep. They, they grew up here as well and want to have, like, you know, IPA, you know, good wine, whatever. Not just, like, the stereotypical things that people think you got to have. President, you know? so That's the thing yeah. I'm most proud of, yeah. right? out of everything. Out of the the awards or doing a sour fest or having you know the the Noche Latina parties are the thing that we're most proud of and it's really and that built, was from it, my wife right it's really building that community yeah yeah and that took like four years to build up I mean the first one it was like her friends and her her primas and stuff were there and I was a, and, <laughs> and now it's like it's pretty cool people are constantly asking hey when's the next one when's the next one that's you know, awesome. we do like a salsa class in the beginning so people don't feel intimidated okay you, it's all okay. fun man okay. it's a good mix of people we got anytime a brewer's in town. Are they in town for a collab or something? If it's not something we take them, they they love it, you know, because it's, it's a different experience, you know. You've already got like Maria's already shaking her head. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that's the thing I'm most proud of, though, nice. because it, 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 you know, it's a different way to do things, and it's our way that we right. it reflects on us. I absolutely agree, man. Well, thank you very much for your time, brother. It, this has been awesome. Yeah, and, no and, uh, Congrats on the uh, success, and uh, we'll let you know we're in Nor- when we're in actually, North yeah, Carolina. we're supposed to be heading up to Charlotte here very soon. Yeah, yeah, so. yeah. Let me know, and we, I'll let you guys know because we go down there a pretty good amount. I always yeah. come by the tap room, so yeah, swing we, by, bro. Uh, um, we, we need to knock a beer out, man. We send beer uh, out yes. to, to North Carolina, so we're supposed to actually launch our brand with <sighs> yes. us physically being there. Yes. So. Yeah, so we'll, we'll throw we'll, we'll throw down. Nice. All right. Have a good time. All right, bro. <laughs> right, Thank you very much, man. Uh, Thank you. Have a good one. Take care. You're listening to The Beer Hour with Jonathan Wakefield. Conversations on the business of brewing and popular culture. Our next guest is an NBA analyst for Meadowlark Media. He contributes regularly to the Levitard and Friends podcast network. Previously, he worked at ESPN as an analytically inclined staff writer for ESPN The Magazine, ESPN Insider, and ESPN.com. He also made regular appearances on SportsCenter, Outside the Lines, and The Jump. He has also worked for NBC Sports as their national NBA insider. He is the co-owner of Count the Dings Podcast Network. Welcome to the Beer Hour, Tom Havistro. Thank you very much for joining us today. Um, I kind of want to lead in. Uh, Maria is a huge fan of the Levitard show. I mean, I think it's on nonstop play in your in your car. Shut up. <laughs> I drive a lot. Oh, I live man. about 35 miles away from the brewery, so... I mean... It was also her idea for the Charlotte-themed show with you and your pal Jason Guan <laughs> from uh, Salute Ser- Serviceria, who we just had heard from, you know, in the first half hour. How are you and your family enjoying Charlotte after living in Miami for six years or so? Yeah, so we, um, it's so funny, if you actually look in the Miami Herald archives, my wife and I were in the paper because we were in Miami about, she was six months pregnant or so during the Zika virus scare of 2016 oh, or 17, whenever yes, that was. I remember that. <laughs> you remember that, right? Yeah, well, cause it, now, because it just rained hell on Wynwood. Like, it was, you know, Zika was contained to this nine-block radius within all of Miami, and it just happened to be Wynwood. Like, yes. that just happens, right? These mosquitoes only live within a nine-block radius, and then it's over. They just die if of they course. go outside of that. I got, I got a question though. So obviously you're you're involved in you know sports talk and whatnot. Did you growing up in Connecticut, you know, in high school, did you actually play sports or were you more like one of the guys doing algebra two problems, you know, in your free time? <laughs> so John, like <laughs> I played sports. I was kind of like the I was I was that kid that 
would play sports after school, but in school I would be that nerd who would go to the math teacher during lunchtime <laughs> and I would like okay. hang out with the math right. club students. Right. Of course. But yet I would be uh, like starting for the basketball team and then I would be, th- you know, playing catch. That sounds the like John. Team. Well, that okay. sounds like John because John yeah. looks like a, a jock, right? But he is the biggest fucking nerd you've ever like met. So, but we wear that badge, right. yeah. badge of honor. Hey, hey, listen, yeah. I, that you can play in those two worlds. Exactly. Right. I mean, I have my master's in accounting. I probably don't look like a guy that has his master's in accounting. So, you know, it's that's right. It's a, it's a little weird, but yes. So, and you obviously went to school in Winston Salem. What did you major in there? Economics. So I was going the um, I was going the econ route, the business route uh, at Wake Forest. Okay. My 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 dad is in business, and my my right. brothers are in finance, and so I thought that was my track. And then um, I minored in psychology. I was really good with numbers, and I love sports. I love watching sports. I ha- I started a blog in college at the recommendation of one of my econ professors, who was you know big sports guy. And he's like, right. you know what, this sabermetrics thing in baseball is popping off. And I'm I'm a huge Red Sox fan. So like, wait, wait, Theo wait, what? Epstein and the two. Wait, what? You're a Red huge Sox, Red Sox fan? fan. So am That's I. Right. So am I. Bro, bro. I grew up right outside of New York City, so Aaron fucking Boone in 2003 ruined okay. my life. Oh, All no, my worst, friends, worst ever. That Homer, that ro- that was robbery. Absolute garbage. Trust me, I'm, <laughs> I'm a Red Sox fan out of Miami. But it's all from well, my like, family's roots out of the Northeast. Yeah, yeah. My dad's from Cohasset, Massachusetts, and so when he – it's on the South Shore and the South Shore. Yeah. Um, so he he raised us as Red Sox fans, um, Celtics fans. Yes. Uh, but since I, I got into the NBA, I've had to kind of like temp, temper that down. Okay. Um, and I was a huge college hoops fan. But anyway, so like when I went to – when I went to Wake – I decided to like go down this business track, see where it took me. And then the 2007, 2008 market crash, the, the right. crisis happens right. in wall street and there are no jobs, right. no jobs to be had. So I'm graduating with this degree from wake forest that I busted my ass for and I got good grades and I had no job offers Damn. to show for it. I had Damn. nothing. I interviewed everywhere, no job offers. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to throw my resume in at, ESPN in Bristol, Connecticut and see if anything sticks. And so I interviewed at ESPN. I got in as a stats guy. So I'm really good with numbers. I love right. like spending time as you probably appreciate in <laughs> right. Excel rather right. than like in a word document. Of course. And so I would just like, I just did sport low level sports stats at ESPN to get my foot in the door and the rest is history. I mean, but as a sports guy and obviously appreciating sports, I mean, if I had had the opportunity to work at ESPN, I probably would have been elated. I mean, how was that for you, like working there? Oh, it's like a dream come true. But as you know, like when, when people say, oh, you brew beer, that it seems like a hard job. You right. know, like right. you're like, no, it actually is really hard. It's hard to get this right. You think it's easy, but everybody wants to do that. So your competition is like hundreds of millions of people who want that job. Right. So you have to be that much better at it and provide insight and an edge. So there's... There's a saying that Pat Riley has there in Miami. Pat Riley likes to say that sports are the toy department of human affairs. Yes. And it's true is like we, we live and die on like the Celtics beating the Golden State Warriors. Yeah. And it feels like it's a life or death thing, but it really is the toy department of human affairs. In reality, it's really not that stressful. It's really not that, you know, important, but it does feel that way. I and mean, that's my life. Like the worst day at work is when I like piss off the wrong fan base. No, I, 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 I you know, I obviously can agree with that. I mean, they made such a big mention of him guarding Steph and how low Steph's field goal percentage was when Smart guarded him. But like, where's he been? Like that yeah. first game he was there. Where's he been the last four games? Like, Dude's cutting to the basket, pulling up for twos. Like, where's the defense? You know, and yeah. supposedly before the whole series happened, Steph was only like a 32% shooter when Smart was guarding him. So it's like, I don't know. So so you know how this is with beer, and, and there's some stats that you can point to and be like, that's meaningful. And there's right. some, some numbers that you point to that people will advertise that are just full of shit. It's just not real exactly. data because there's not enough sample size. And you in a county, you get this is you need a larger sample size to make something, you know, worthwhile talking about. You're listening to the beer hour and we're talking to Tom Haberstroh. 
so at what point, like, what was your decision to leave an established sports network to work at what is essentially a startup in Meadowlark? So, yeah, I did 10 years or so at ESPN and then two years at NBC Sports as their national NBA insider. And there's this thing called podcasting. And as I'm taping this, I'm in a, I have this really nice, like state of the art microphone and a headset. And uh, I never thought this would be my, my next career path, but it is this, this growing space where um, Dan and um, John Skipper, who used to be the president of ESPN for a very long time, one of the most powerful men in sports, um, they, they, created this company Meadowlark and they wanted it to be creator focused. And also you would share in the equity of the company. And they were like, you will get a piece as a talent, as someone coming in and working in this company, everyone's going to have a slice to this company. And so the idea of not just working for somewhere, but having a slice of the pie in the growth of it, you just could not dream of something like that at ESPN or NBC, where if you build something, you're not just going to give all your work away for free. It's free to, so to speak, you're actually going to share in that success. So if you're at ESPN and you make a documentary, they own that. Right. It's, right? it's not for you. Whereas when you're doing it here, you actually are sharing in the revenue and the growth of it and actually growing your own brand within that company. Exactly. Yeah. And you're just, you, it's a different work life. It's a different way to look at yourself oh, as yeah. uh, an employee or as a equity stakeholder, or it's, it's just more empowering. You feel like you have a hand in more things and that it's, I think a more enriching experience, not financially it, initially, like right. getting equity of, of something that isn't worth very much. Right. It doesn't bring it, doesn't pay the bills. Right. right. Um, but the idea is further on down the line, as we build something really cool and special for the audience, that it will become something. And that's really, really special. And I just love Dan Lebetard and his whole ethos and family. And um, he literally had his father next to him on the set at ESPN and made that work into a great TV show. Yes. Um, and, you know, he's, he's, he holds a very special place in my heart for what he meant to me when I was working down there in Miami. He's like the godfather in, of the media, sports media in there. And so getting a chance to work with him uh, and John Skipper, who I worked for underneath several le- layers of, uh, of management at ESPN, um, it was just, it, it was the right time. So I left NBC Sports and then joined uh, Metal Arc, and it's been really cool. I have a couple podcasts there, and they've been very successful. And it's just, it's different. It's different not writing actual like stories, word document. Uh, yeah, right. I don't do that as much. I right. do a lot more of this conversational thing. Okay. And it's been really, really fun. So nice. I, I thought you asked me about the, the, did you play sports in high school? Because I just recently threw out the first pitch in Miami for the Marlins right. last week. I did and ask you that, I'm, yeah. I, I threw it into the dirt and I thought you were like, dude, did you, did you even play baseball, bro? Like I saw that pitch. Yeah. I, I threw out the first pitch last week, last Thursday on June 2nd. And, uh, it did not go as well as I had planned. Listen, I play baseball freshman, sophomore year in high school, never played after that. Cause I focused on basketball and then football into college. Are you me? Are you like, seriously, John, are you me? Like that is like pretty much the exact story is that, that I had. I gave up baseball to focus yep. on basketball in high school. Yeah, it just wasn't any good. I chose, I, uh, when it came down to college, I chose football over basketball. I kind of regret that later on in life, but I mean, cause I had equal opportunity to go, you know, college for both, but I chose football. My fear would always be if I ever threw out a pitch that I throw it right in the dirt, right in front of the catcher. To me, that's like, <laughs> Oh my God, please don't put me on the mound ever. <laughs> <laughs> So I got a question. So your, your job as both a writer and on-air personality has been to help demystify the world of sports analytics, specifically like the NBA. What do you think is the average fan's biggest misconception of the field of analytics? Oh, that we just like sit in a lab and come up with uh, different formulas to like make up new stats, <laughs> new algebra like, problems. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Like, no, this isn't like beautiful mind or like goodwill hunting where we're just like on a chalkboard and like designing new formulas. Right. Really what it is, is like, Hey, we talk about this all the time. Wouldn't it be great to actually quantify it to see if it's true? Like, right. That's all my job is, is to like, Hey, um, Dwayne Wade, when he's on the three point line, they guard him like he's 
Ray Allen or Reggie Miller right. or Steph Curry or Clay Thompson. He thinks this. Is there actual data to back up that Dwayne Wade is guarded like a three-point shooter even though he does not shoot threes? Right. That's such a mystery. Why is that happening? And so it really was just being able to track where defenders are on the court and being able to quantify how closely he's guarded out there um, and then comparing him to other players. And people are like, whoa, I didn't know you could do that. I didn't even know you could like track that. And that's the kind of thing that is really special is a lot of analytics. It's VORP and, and WOBA and XWOBA and all these people think of the acronyms and the right. abbreviations and all that. And they, it's really scary. Like it is scary. Like I've been out of baseball for a couple of years and I look at some of the, the stats now and I'm like, whoa, I, this just give me OPS and I'm good. Right. right. I, I, I understand that. And that's not what analytics is. Analytics is the study of what wins to me. That's what it is. It's the study of what wins. It is what goes into winning. Oh, it used to not be three pointers. Now it is three pointers. Stephen Curry used to, used to not be that your best player could be six foot two from Davidson, North Carolina, Charlotte, North Carolina, and just dominate like Shaq. Like that's what Steph Curry is. When he is on the floor, he dominates the court like he's Shaq, but from 30 feet away. And my job is to explain that, explain the end, explain what's happening on the, on the field or the court where people are watching. Like, how does he do that? Analytics helps tells that story. I think some of the old heads, I mean, believe that analytics has kind of ruined sports in some aspect, but there's also a belief that analytics wins championships where do you sit on this? I mean, as well, an analytics guy, you're going to be on the other side, right? I mean, but like, well, there's, there's, there's a couple of things going on there, which is um, analytics. Like, again, if we're using the operating definition of it's the right. study of what wins, right. You are constantly adapting to the environment or to the era or to like what won in 2010 in major league baseball is different than what wins in 2022 in right. baseball. Like the game is shifting. The ball is changing. The, the, uh, the stadiums are changing. Like, um, the athletes themselves are growing up and studying this stuff and the velocities in baseball have like skyrocketed over the past 10 years. So the dynamics of the game are changing. And so like, there is no like rule in analytics. Like it's, it, people have this misconception that like the only way to succeed in the NBA is to take 53 pointers. Like that's not right. Good. To well, yet. What was your motivation for creating count the dings and what type of podcasts is it? I mean, what does it offer? <laughs> so count the dings was, um, when we were at ESPN, my friends were at ESPN. We were doing like this boutique podcast company underneath ESPN. We didn't know it was a company. We didn't know that it was uh, new or fresh, right. but we had this like really rabid following. And yet it wasn't like the boilerplate, like first take stuff. We weren't right. like arguing about who's the better player. We were mostly like a little bit more irreverent, like kind of like laughing about the game. And when I left ESPN, uh, we decided to start up Count the Dings, which was a podcast company that was a startup um, that that was like our friends. It was there's there's so many new there's so many companies right now, podcast companies. Barstool is one of them where it's like, hey, uh, I want to just sports the way I talk about it with my buddies. And like that idea, like it seems so like obvious, but at ESPN, it was changing. The, the, the culture at ESPN was changing where it was like less about suits and more about like, I'm on the couch and hang out with my buddies and want to talk sports. Right. And so we did that. And I'm, when we started that company, count the dings, we just wanted to laugh. We wanted to laugh about sports. We wanted to have <laughs> right. a good time. Um, and we felt like there wasn't enough of that. And then like my, my buddy, Kevin, who's, um, out in LA, he's this like, amazing basketball mind, but we both share a love for top chef, the, the food <laughs> okay. show. And right. we were like, what if we started a podcast that just recaps top chef episodes? Like it's the NBA. Oh my God. <laughs> and, okay. and we are able to create those, those shows at, at count the dings. And it's just, it's super fun. So in 2017, we're going to talk a little about some closer to your heart here. You launched the ALS pepper challenge, which has raised close to a million dollars for ALS research. Can you share with our listeners what it is and why you started it? Oh, I wish I never had to start it. Right. Um, right. 
my mother has ALS. She was diagnosed in 2017. Um, and she, when it's, it's a hundred percent fatal disease, there's a life expectancy, average life expectancy of two to five years upon diagnosis. Uh, we knew what that meant. I mean, I, I, as a baseball fan, I knew Lou Gehrig, uh, in 2014, I did the ice bucket challenge, not really knowing what ALS was, but, um, since my mother was diagnosed, then you learn pretty quickly. It is awful. I don't know if you guys know anyone who has had ALS or has ALS. It is a nightmare, a horror show of a disease where your body slowly paralyzes upon itself right. to the point where my mom was tripping and then she was falling and then she couldn't walk. And then it slowly would come up through her, her waist and her chest. And then she wow. couldn't, she couldn't eat on her own. She couldn't talk. She couldn't walk yes. all these things. And it's slowly taking over your body. And it was just this horrifying thing. And so she's staring at this future that she has. And she says to her kids, my two brothers and my twin sister, and she says, I want to start movement. I don't know what, I just want to start a movement. I want my legacy to be that when I was diagnosed with this disease, started a movement. So can you help me? And I was a big fan of the show Hot Ones on YouTube Love it. Uh, Love with it. Sean Evans, who re eats increasingly hot chicken wings. Yes. And the Ice Bucket Challenge was for ALS, and it was dumping yeah, um, freezing cold water. cold water on your head. Yes. Right? Yes. So I was like, what if we did the opposite of the Ice Bucket Challenge and just ate hot peppers on film oh. and then share it with the world oh. and laugh about it? Yes. So we did this. So we said, all right, go get a jalapeno, go get a habanero, go get a ghost pepper, whatever it is, and eat it and film yourself and then shout out three other people and make it go viral. And I mean, it somehow took off. And so Charles Barkley did it. Kelly Clarkson did it. Garth Brooks did it. Jimmy Kimmel did it. Um, it was just super cool to watch. And it was all in the name of ALS. And so one of the people that did do it was uh, Stu Gotts over at, at Levitard. <laughs> um, he did it with Dan, except yes. Dan didn't actually eat the pepper. And so we raised like uh, pretty close to a million dollars for ALS. And it was really, really cool. My mom was super proud and was super excited. And um, so you know, around that time was when peppers started coming into beers, right? Yes. Yes. And one of my dreams is to have like a hot pepper convention, like a hot pepper conference or a competition involving like a, a hot beer uh, or a spicy beer. Cause here in Charlotte, we have a few. Right. Um, and it's, it's really, it's a cool like little thing that like beer now you can like throw in a pepper in it. Um, and it does taste better. And so it, it depends right, obviously, but that's really, really cool. It's one of the things that I'm really passionate about is, is, uh, ALS and, um, spicy food. Yeah. Cause I think we had talked about doing an ALS beer, but yeah. we speaking on the spicy beer. We actually just released one of our beers that we did, but we double barrel aged. So it's an Imperial stout aged in bourbon and peach brandy barrels. But it contains cacao nibs, smoked ghost peppers, and vanilla. And vanilla. Oh. Yeah. So, so I'm going to send you a bottle. It's like a spicy dessert. So, so, tell, so tell me, like, is, is brewing with peppers different than, like, brewing with your average ingredient? Like, are you more no. nervous about doing no. that? Well, <sighs> sometimes my and, hand and well, has as, gotten heavy. Well, yes. as, as you know, like, you have your pepper heads, and then you have people that abhor any sort of any spice. kind of spice. Yeah. So when you do a pepper beer, it, it falls into that kind of range of hate it or love it. For me, it's more about finding a balance. And I think we did that. Like it's not like overly crushing no. spice. But what it does is lend this chocolate vanilla with this back end of this smoked ghost pepper that lends a very nice creeping yeah, heat. It doesn't crush your palate and like destroy your throat and you're not sweating out of your forehead profusely. But it's an overall great experience. And that's what we were trying to achieve. So there are places for beer. Obviously, in the past, I've had like Dave's Chili Beer, which is just loaded. And it's like, and I've had Stone's um, Crime and Punishment, which the crime I could drink not too, you know, <laughs> that was fine. But when I got to the punishment, it was like I had like an ounce and I'm like, okay, dude, I, I can't drink this. There's one um, Mexican cake by Westbrook Brewing Company. Oh, yeah, well, South Carolina. Ed, Ed absolutely loves peppers. Loves spice. I mean, in... in you have to be in that range for that beer because it has it has changed year to year. But there, I remember years where it was just like, wow. Do you like that one, Tom? 
Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. being here in North Carolina, like Charlotte, for those who don't know is on the South Carolina border. Like it's right there. Right. So, um, we get a lot of South Carolina beers and Mount Pleasant, South Carolina is just like a couple hours away and they do a great, it's funny talking to you guys in Miami, but they do a key lime sour that is kind of a great entry level sour. And for a lot of people, like they would see sour beer and they'd be like, what is that? And they would, the first in our, in the Carolinas, the first sour that they have, most people have is the key lime sour from Westbrook Brewing Company. Yep. And so they do a great job and I really love their uh, Mexican cake. I, I just, I think they do a great job. So maybe we need to do a spicy sour. I mean, yeah. I used to obviously integrate with other fruits and stuff like that. Yeah. But yes, the cilantro. I, I, I think we could do that for Tom. One. We could do that. Do it for the ALS. Okay, we can do that for sure. Yeah. You know I mean? Well, we. I mean, well, well when are you when are you back in Miami? That's you know. <laughs> um, soon, I hope. Um, yeah. I don't have any immediate plans to be down in Miami, but usually, like once a month, I get down there. Um, so we'll, we'll have to schedule it where you come by and we'll brew the beer when you're here. Yeah. Yeah, well, I would love to come by. I mean, I I've been there uh, a few times because you. I think you guys started in like 2015. 2015, right? January 2015. And you were one of the first, if yep. not like yes. yeah. And so me being a beer snob, like back in the day before I had kids and I could actually like you know do this all the time was um was like we left in 2016. So 2015 is when that started happening. And my like my the local beers at that point was like Cigar City, right. High right. right? And like it was local, but it really was. Or Funky Buddha, which is just up the road. Um, and so to have Miami beer uh, and actually really good beer uh, was really special to have. And like Charlotte has great breweries and cerveceries yes. like uh, like Salud, but and Resident Culture, which is just down the street from me where I live. Those are our friends um, too. <laughs> yeah. Oh, they're, they're, yeah, they're I mean, my people. daughter's first birthday party was at Resident Culture. Oh, that's, that's how so much awesome that place. That's awesome. <laughs> so that's awesome. They, um, they're great. And I'm just, I love the idea of like that beer changes. So like a few years ago, I never think I would like sour beer. And then I was in a phase of sour beer. And then I never thought I would like, um, hazy IPAs. Like I never thought that would be a thing. And then it becomes, becomes this huge thing that like everybody had to do. Um, and then like now Pilsners are really hot and lagers are coming back. And it's just, I love the idea that like you can love beer and then, every year get into a different kind of beer and really get into it. And you don't know what's next. And I just kind of love that it evolves and changes much in the same way that analytics and sports, right. it's not married to one type of way to win. It changes as you go on and it morphs and it changes. And I think that's really like that organic evolution of beer and what wins in sports, I think is like a, it, it marries. Yeah, it absolutely. definitely works absolutely. hand in hand. Well, I want to really thank you for your time today. It's uh it's been awesome talking to you, and uh, thank you very much for coming on the show. And now we got to knock out this uh, ALS beer. Yeah, I'll email you to send you a box. I want to send you some of our sours and yeah. the and the hot pepper beer. So. Absolutely, we'll get Sweet. that done. Thanks for coming Let's on. Thank you, Tom, very much. Thank I you. I really appreciate you guys, and it's great to meet you. Absolutely, great, great to meet, meet you too. <laughs> All right, cheers. That's it for this week. I'd like to thank our guests Jason Glunt and Tom Haberstroh, our co-host Maria Cabre our producer, Rocco Riggio, and our editor, Brian O'Connell. Thank you for listening. You can catch us each Friday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time on Business Radio 132 or anytime on the SiriusXM app or wherever you listen to podcasts. Please rate the show and leave a review. Remember, people, the thirst is real.